It is good to be with you all today in the house of the Lord for sure. I'm excited about today's message. Uh, This whole series, we've been on a journey to uncover what love means. And we've talked about this a lot over the last number of weeks. How languages evolve. They do. Words change their meaning over time when you are practicing a language, living languages. And uh, I, was just reading, uh, I was just reading a book the other day that was written in the early 1900s. And, uh, and I was noticing the words that were used to describe things that just don't describe things the same way today. Uh, and so when we read the word love in the Bible, it means something really specific. But when we talk about love in culture today, it doesn't necessarily overlap totally what we mean by love today and what love meant back then. Uh, And so what I want to do today is continue this study through 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. But before I read it this morning, I just want you to become very, very, very aware Every word in this section of scripture is about relationships. Every word. And so what I want to do is I just want to um, do a, a practice where when I read the scripture, I want to put a couple of different ideas in mind. Let me start with this one. Um, I want you to imagine, so this is a, a real one for me. I can paint this picture fairly well because it is true of me. It's the middle of the night, and a two-year-old starts crying. They're scared or cold. And you walk in. I've had this happen many times with my kids, and not long ago, even with Julia, who's not quite two yet. And I walked in there, and she was crying in the middle of the night, and I picked her up, you know, and she's just old enough, does like the daddy-daddy thing. So I pick her up, I hold her in my arms, and I'm looking at her, and I'm rocking her, and she leans in on my chest. And I'm holding her like a dad with, a, with their babies. They just want to feel safe. See that image in your mind. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I want you to see in your mind's eye another image Maybe this is your home, your story, your marriage. The weight of the economy is crashing. People feel the weight of it. A husband comes home exhausted, trying to work as many hours as possible. He's short with his family. He feels the stress. He wants to provide, and he wants space, and he wants to be present, but he can't do it all. And he's sitting at home, and he's just feeling the anxiety of all of it. And a loving wife sits down next to him and puts her hand on his. See that in your mind's eye. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I want to ask a question for you to kind of construct in your own mind a place where relationship is needed. So wherever it is right now, your story, your heart, your life. In fact, even now, Holy Spirit, you bring to mind the relationship in each mind, even if it's Four months from now, when somebody's listening to this on a podcast, bring to mind right now in this unique moment a relationship. So in your minds, imagine a relationship. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's a kid. Maybe it's a neighbor. A relationship. See that person in your mind's eye. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I find it really interesting how we do live in an awesome time in history, like the wheat and the tares. This is the time in human history where there's a lot of really bad things that are happening, but there are also a lot of really good things that are happening and, uh, and, and I, I mentioned this the other day. I'm going to point him out again. As Dan Levite says, one of our Sunday school teachers here, it's a great time in history to be a Christian. And he's right. I want you to listen. I'm going to give you three examples that talk about how hungry humans are to get relationships right. I mean, the core of the Bible is a relationship. The core teaching in the Bible is how to relate to God and others. And I just want to give you three even modern examples that point to the Bible as being accurate and right and good. I love this. The first one, Dr. Emma Sapala, I believe is how she says her last name, a psychologist out of Yale, a lecturer and psychologist researcher out of Yale. She says this. These are recent research projects. One telling study showed that the lack of social connection is a greater detriment to our health than obesity, smoking, and high blood pressure. Makes you rethink those lockdowns as they don't make a bunch of people mad. A greater detriment to our health, 
lack of social connection, then obesity, smoking, and high blood pressure. On the flip side, strong social connection leads to a 50% increased chance of longevity. It helps us recover from disease much faster and may even lengthen our lives. People who feel more connected to others have lower rates of anxiety, lower rates of depression. Moreover, studies show they also have higher self-esteem, are more empathetic to others, more trusting and cooperative, and as a consequence, others are more open to trusting and cooperating with them. I love it when modern science just shows the Bible as true and good. Let me give you another example. We even know that human connection, this is an 80-year study that was finished here not long ago by Harvard. An 80-year study revealed that meaningful human connections are a greater determining factor of human flourishing than health and money. If you have good relationships with other people, you are way more likely to go, life is good. Then if you're really wealthy or even healthy. Let me give you one more. I was listening to a neuropsychologist a couple of weeks back at a lecture. And uh, he was saying that the evidence is becoming to come out more and more and more with modern psychotherapy. This is super interesting. Third example, and then we're done. If you have meaningful relationships in your life, they are nearly as effective as clinical therapy in many, if not most, psychological situations. The power of friendship. Meaningful friendship. Let me say it like this. Learning to connect with other people in a meaningful way is the greatest contributor to your well-being. Let me take it even further. You were created to need others. If we were automobiles, relationships would be the gasoline that we run on. And the primary one, right, because not all relationships have equal effect. The primary relationship, 1 Corinthians 13, 6, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Now, this is so important when you look at the idea of what is, in that text, go ahead and go back one more slide. I'm sorry, Hilda, that was my fault. What does the word evil mean? And what does the word truth mean? Those two words are really important. The idea in this text, linguistically, theologically, and contextually. Now, this was a really fun study to do that I don't have time to go into this morning. But the idea in this text is simply this. The sincerity, like I really mean it. The sincerity in acknowledging the gospel that God has come to reforge a broken relationship is the journey towards truth. In fact, another way to kind of hone it down might be this. What is true is that which aligns us into relationship with God. Okay, so, so, so pause for just a moment. Biblically speaking, biblically speaking, the Bible as a whole, the grand narrative of Scripture is simply this. Truth is not necessarily a set of ideas alone, though it does have that in it. Ultimate truth, biblically, is a relationship. It is a relationship. In fact, um, 
what is evil is that which separates us from him. So ultimate truth is a relationship, and ultimate evil is that which separates us from him, right? So ultimate truth, according to the Bible, is a relational issue. It's a relational issue. Now, I'm going to invite Josh up, and I'm going to pull some of this together, and we're going to be done in just a few minutes. Um, The Bible as a whole really is interesting. It isn't a science book, though there is some science in it. It isn't a hymnal, though there is some music in it. It isn't a legal book, though it does reference civil laws. It isn't a leadership book, strategy book for war, psychology book, or self-help book, though all of these things are sprinkled in there. The Bible is a It's a love story. The Bible is a love story. We are a rebellious people who ran away from our home, and what we need most is to be reunited with our family. Now, I'm going to stay right here for just a few minutes. Anybody here, um, I don't want you to raise your hands because, well, just because. If you've ever watched a soap opera, I know, soap opera, don't, don't, don't acknowledge it publicly, first of all. Acknowledge it publicly. But every soap opera is pretty much the same story, right? I mean, it's like, Tolkien is right, the guy who wrote The Lord of the Rings. There's like one ultimate story, you know, self-sacrifice, finding love, feeling like an outcast, finding where you fit. There's one story of humanity, and its perfect telling is that of Jesus. And like a tree, it grows, and there's countless leaves, and when you open them up, they kind of retell the same story over and 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 over again. Some of them better than others. Some leaves are dried up and have holes and it's not quite right. But the grand story of the Bible is basically in Eden, you have this wonderful family. And and again, the way Lewis says it is it's not that before the fall our appetites were diminished. It's that our appetites were saturated. And like a soap opera, a home record comes into this Eden. And a home wrecker, you guys know what a home wrecker is, the person that breaks up a marriage, breaks up a home. A home wrecker comes into this marriage and weasels his way, the deceiver, the enemy, weasels his way into the relationship and he just drops seeds of doubt, little seeds of doubt, doubting the intention of God, doubting the intention of the relationship, doubting, just drops these little seeds in there over and over and over and over and over again until Eve finally, in a sense, divorces herself from her family. 
I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, the people in this world that are home wreckers, you know, that literally try to break up marriages, in the metaphor way, they are literally playing the role that the devil played in human story. And the way the enemy works, you see, because all of us are affected by this. The way the enemy works is he wants you to choose to leave the relationship. He wants you to choose it. So in a sense, Satan doesn't abduct you. He wants to put bitterness in your mind and heart. He wants to put things in your spirit that make you question and doubt. He wants to drop, he literally, the deceiver is his name, right? So he drops all these little seeds in there that kind of poison the relationship until you choose to walk away. That's what he wants. He, in a sense, he's not abducting you. He's trying to poison your mind so you reject the relationship. The ultimate end of the enemy is to get you alone and isolated, only trusting you. That's what the enemy wants. And so he puts these little seeds of doubt in your mind in how you relate to other people. Little seeds of doubt in your mind. You can't trust individuals. Everybody's the same. And then the grand story is, well, our hero comes riding in, not on a white horse initially, but a donkey. Awesome. to call back home his lover, his beloved. Now, I want to pause this morning. And again, I want to be really um, considerate. This room, I guarantee, in fact, when I was down there worshiping this morning, I just felt the spirit whisper in my heart. There are people in this room, they have been so wounded They struggle to do relationships. They literally can't walk the direction they deeply desire to walk. They're so wounded. And so I want to ask this question. In fact, even now, Holy Spirit, you lead this moment. You take our hearts and minds where they need to go. Um, and, and you know these people. I mean, they're just like hypercritical the Christian people that are this way, they're the ones in your small group that are always like, well, I didn't like the person that said this, and I didn't think this person was very nice. They're always critical. You know these people. They're wounded enough. They just hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. They're always casting doubt, always breaking apart trust, always diminishing relationships, always like, and they know the Bible really well. But they're wounded enough or broken enough, the heart of the Bible hasn't gotten in there yet. You know these people. You might be this people. In fact, I was sitting there this morning, I felt like the Lord said, that person, those people are here today. The critical spirit, you feel it in you. The distrust, you feel it in you. 
The seeds of doubt, you feel it in you. Ultimate truth in the Bible is relationship restored with God. And all evil is anything that separates you from that. I want to reread John 3, 16 through 17. I know you've seen this many times, but with this idea that ultimate truth is a relationship. For God so the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes, right, so believes, not just that he existed, but relational belief. I want to pause on this for just a minute. Okay, bear with me. If you were to pin me down when I was in the middle of talking with a bunch of people and you were to say, tell me about your daughter, Kara. What color eyes does she have? I might be like, uh, uh, green, blue. No, green, green. I think it's green. How tall is she? Well, I think she's, she's six years old. What's her birthday? I don't remember for sure. And let's say that you knew all of those things about my daughter. Her birthday, the color of her eyes, what age she is. I mean, you had this all down and you hit me at a bad moment where I didn't know it. You know my daughter at that moment better than I know my daughter. But if we were to bring my daughter in this room, who's she going to run to? Not you! Because knowledge isn't just a set of stats. This is how people can be in the church for 20 years and know the Bible inside and out and still be so critical and bitter. They show up at small groups and they just bark and they complain and they whine and they're always casting seeds of doubt. They know a ton of information about the Bible, but there's something relationally still missing in their heart. See, truth is not merely a set of stats. Truth, biblically, is a relationship. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. He's the rescuer, but to save the world through him. A relationship with him. Again, whoever believes, this word believes is not just a knowledge set of stats. The belief is intimacy. Whoever has that intimacy, the connectedness in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe, does not have that intimacy, stands condemned already because they have not believed. Intimacy in the name of God is the one and only son. Even the demons believe that Jesus is the son of God and they're still destined for hell. It's not merely a set of stats. It is a relationship. Ultimate truth, according to the Bible, is a relational issue. And a relational work is participating in God's work. When you're working on relationships and how to relate well and how to engage with God, it's a heart work. That is God's work, is relationships restored. All right, way heavy this morning. Here's what I want for you. Here's what I want for you. I want you to have the capacity to do 
relationships really well. I want you to be able to shed criticism. To shed any weights that keep you from participating well. And so I'm going to ask just a couple questions. Um, The first one I'm going to put up and just leave it on the screen. What relationship is the Holy Spirit encouraging you to work on? And, and, And what I mean by that, you can leave this up. What I mean by that is simply this. If you are not doing a relationship work in your spiritual development, you're not fully doing spiritual development. Does this make sense? A brilliant historian can know tons about the Bible and not actually believe it. It's in them. They want it. They're seeking the intimacy. The demons absolutely believe that God is real. They know he's the son of God. Think of the interactions that happen all through the Bible. But there's not that relational intimacy. On November the 6th, we're shutting down our services. Actually, we're not technically shutting them down. We're shutting them down the way we've done them. And this campus in East Fishers, we're going to meet at East Fishers. And we're going to spend a whole morning just in prayer. We're going to lean into the presence of God and ask for him to move in ways that only he can move. Ask for him to heal in ways that only he can heal. We are going to lean in to truth. Not merely as a set of things to know, but truth as a relationship to participate in. Now, I want to acknowledge there are people here today, you're like, whoa, I don't even know where to go with this. The, the, the church for me has been songs that make me feel a little emotional and cool ideas that the pastor shares. And now all of a sudden you're painting this picture for me that is not just like church isn't going to school. It's, it's now something so much more. It's a relationship. It's intimacy. And I don't know where to start. We're going to do this together. You ready? If you would, just close your eyes. Kind of palms up like you're receiving a gift. Like God's giving you a gift. The sincerity piece. In your hearts, if you know there's something in your spirit that hinders your ability to relate well to God or relate well to others? Is there something in your spirit, let the Holy Spirit even whisper it in you, that holds you back from relating to him well and relating to others well? And just in prayer before God, confess it. Maybe for you, it's my past divorce has wounded me and I struggle to trust people, even trust you, confess it. Maybe for you, it's a broken relationship with a parent 
my broken relationship with my mom or with my dad has wounded me. And it causes me to not relate as well to other people. And it even maybe hinders my relationship with you, God, confess it. Maybe for you, it's a friendship that fell apart. And it's wounded you. And it's caused you to feel like you just can't trust people. Confess it. Honesty before God, confess it. Maybe for people out here, you even have let you down. There's something you did in your past or an addiction that you struggle with or a doubt that reoccurs, right, or whatever it is, and you're like, man, I have done things even to myself that make it hard to relate with others and relate with God. Just in your heart, in your mind's eye, confess it. God, Spirit, take this. Holy Spirit, now all I want you to do is just pray. Just say, Lord, speak to me. God, begin to heal where I've been relationally wounded. Help me to see you as a loving father. Help me to see you with arms open wide. Help me to see people in my church as brothers and sisters. Help me to be there for them. In a state of prayer, you can even grab the next steps cards. In fact, it would be good to write this down. I just want you to pray about and answer that question. What relationship is the Holy Spirit encouraging you to work on? ultimate truth biblically is a relationship. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps.